You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Um, okay, so, uh, let me go ahead and bring this up. Hello, and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I did not update the, uh, wording on here. Okay, here we go. No, that's, huh. That's weird. I'm so sorry. This is something for the gag reel. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the king you can find more of our work at towerjunkiespod.com and follow us on every level of social media at tower junkies pod uh i am one of your hosts matt hurt and with me today is tiny, tiny. that's me that's him hey guys hey guys okay i'm done <laughs> i wasn't sure if you were gonna want me to introduce myself or... i don't know because i pointed at you like I, the, you we never do that so. i know we don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm here with Tiny. Tiny, how's it going? Good, good. Good, good. Bueno. Um, yeah. Dude, what did you say? Bueno. Oh, good. Nice. I don't know. We just recorded a special Patreon exclusive uh, content thing where mm-hmm. we talked about fantasy podcast uh, ideas. Right. So um, check that out at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer if you want to get access to an exclusive rss feed with us just bullshitting and everything we have a lot of content on there minimum minimum rate of one dollar per month gets you access to an rss feed load that onto your podcast app you get access to at this point probably 10 10 or 12 hours worth of uh fun content and everything so uh, it's fun check that out and it gives us money so that's good too yeah um so today on the podcast we are finally going to be reviewing the new film adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Um, this movie came out in April, and it just recently came out on home video. Um, and we are finally going to be reviewing it at long last. So super excited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some housekeeping to attend to, Tiny. Um, we just to kind of announce it if you guys don't follow us on Facebook or Twitter or anything. Um, I am super anal retentive. Um, <laughs> so last night, a peek behind the curtain, we're recording this July, uh, uh Wednesday, July th- 17th. Jesus. Um, and last night on July 16th, I spent a very long amount of time, uh, revamping the episode titles and the episode categories. So, um, up until this point, we have had, uh, categories for episodes where each episode, like if it was a review of a movie or show that was adapted from a Stephen King work, it would just be a toe dash episode. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was a novel review that didn't, wasn't connected to the Dark Tower, it would be Merlin's Grapefruit. <laughs> um, so basically it would have sections or categories specifically like, like a cute, um, Dark Tower reference for sef- sep- uh, separate categories and stuff. Um, I don't know why I did that, guys. <laughs> like, every time we record an episode, I would have to think, like, wait, this is, okay, this is a, this is, a, this is a doorway cave episode because we're talking about news. It's like, w- wait, why is a doorway cave episode that and not, like, Todash? Or why is Todash Todash and doorway cave is doorway cave? Um, so I just went ahead and dropped it. Like, that's done. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, so if you go to the archive on, uh, towerjunkiespod.com slash archive, you'll, you will see, um, all the new categories. Basically it's going to be novel, uh, novella, short story, movie, TV, like very streamlined and everything. And Mm -hmm. I have updated every episode title in the show notes of like most, if not all of the episodes on the podcast feed, um, to reflect that and have the new category links and everything. So enjoy that. And, uh, yeah, I was very sleepy today cause I, uh, I, yeah, it was, it was a long night last night. <laughs> um, but I'm very happy that we finally have that streamlined and everything. And, uh, yeah. So tiny as a, uh, 
when you, how did you feel about the categories? <laughs> um, I thought the the pre like the way you did it previously was just too confusing, frankly. Yeah. Like I, I could never remember what everything was. Same. So yeah, I like the streamlined. Me too. Thing. Me me too. Yeah. And like that's the thing because. Like, okay, when, like, in terms of podcasting, we've been podcasting for, like, six years now. We've talked about that before. Um, my kind of philosophy with podcasts is, like, if I, if I would listen to what we are putting out there in the world, then we're doing okay. Because, like, that's my, that's my, my barometer. Like, if I, like, yeah. if I don't enjoy listening to the shows, I'm not going to do the shows anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise, if I'm confused as hell about what the episode is based on some <laughs> really <laughs> based on what could potentially be an obscure reference to the Dark Tower series um that takes up so much space on, in the title of it. Yeah. So like if you go into your podcast app or if you went into it and you looked, you would see like like oh, episode like 17, it would just say zero one seven dash Merlin's grapefruit dash. And then like probably depending on the, the screen size, like the first two letters of what the actual episode is reviewing. Oh my God. So, so yeah. So there's that. Right. <laughs> uh, I do have a bunch of news stuff, but I'm, I'm going to maybe, maybe eventually we'll do like a news roundup episode. Cause, um, cause there's, it's just, that's a lot of stuff that would just eat up a lot of time. I think. Okay. Um, there was one thing I wanted to mention, though. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about this one news item. Um, for Stephen King news, um, speaking of being sleepy at work because I spent so much time being anal retentive about, uh, our podcast here, <laughs> it was announced today that, uh, Sleeping Beauties, the novel from last year by Stephen King and Owen King, is set for a 2020 comic book series adaptation from, I think it's IDW Comics or IDW Publishing. Hmm. Um, a friend of the show, Tony Troxell, uh, shared that with us on Facebook. Um, yeah, just reading from Deadline, uh, uh, IDW has the series slated for a high-profile uh, launch in early 2020. Um, it's going to be a 10-part comic book epic by the international tandem of uh, Canadian novelist Rio uh, Yours um, and London-based artist and architect uh, Alison Sampson. Uh, so, Tiny, you... I don't remember how... I don't remember where we came down on Sleeping Beauties, but I remember... Kind of being a little bit uh, lukewarm on it, yeah, and to bordering on just not really liking it that much. Um, how does this news relate to you? How do you feel about this news? Uh, I'm really not enthused at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't really like the book, like yeah. hardly at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I'm not eager to see any more content from it, frankly. Um, <laughs> which I hate to say because right. you know more King is should always be. Uh, good king, I guess, or, mm-hmm. but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. but I'm just, I'm just not enthused about it at all. Um, Interesting. I, I might check it out still, but I may assign it for you to check like, it yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I just didn't care for the story. Um, okay. so I, I, I don't know. That's fair. I, and I didn't either. I did mention on Facebook that, um, the novel has some interesting, imagery that I think will make an intriguing, depending on what kind of art style they go with, I think it could be an interesting, uh, it could have some interesting imagery on the page. Yeah, that's um, true. It could be some good artwork. Yeah. But, and I, I don't know, I'm mildly excited about it just because it'll give me an excuse to revisit the novel again and kind of see if I, how I feel about it. Like after some time has passed from the initial release and everything. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we'll report on that next year and everything. Um, so tiny real quick before we get into pet cemetery though, do you have any Stephen King check-ins, anything recently that's come up about Stephen King that you have been consuming or interested in? I do. Okay, nice. I do. Yeah. I am like, uh, five hours into the audiobook of Dr. Sleep, Nice. which I have not read yet. So, mm-hmm. um, I am freaking loving it. That is awesome. I mean, full on loving it. Uh, that it's, is so good. It's fantastic so far. Um, I am three hours into it. Um, nice. 
it's almost as if we have some special planned right like series of episodes that's going to come out <laughs> in like September uh, or October. It'll be October. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So look forward to October when we actually have some some semblance of consistency in the releases, <laughs> and we're talking about stuff from like the heat wave in July. But yeah. Anyway, right. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, I am enjoying it too. Uh, that's that's one check in for me too. Nice. Yeah. So we'll report back on that in October. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to mention that I uh have a couple other check ins real quick. One is I just re listened. I finished re listening to it, um, on Audible. Um, man, that book, like, it's. Wonderful. It is so, like, I was, I was, like, very moved, like, at certain points in the story. Like, the, the last line of the section of the book titled The Final Interlude is, like, like, just, like, beautiful. Like, it almost Mm. reduced me to tears. And it was, like, it's the perfect, like, like, there's stuff after that, but, like, that's the perfect, like, thesis statement for the entire for the for like the themes of the novel and stuff nice. like there are things that i picked up on that i wasn't too uh no pun intended not not too keen upon <laughs> keen on like the pharmacist guy but anyway um i uh, but it doesn't detract from it for me because it's just such an incredible novel nice um and on that same note i have pre-ordered um, the new, uh, it chapter two movie tie-in edition of it in paperback. Cool. Um, I mentioned in a previous episode and in passing over the year, the last like two years, um, I'm just really excited about the idea of having two versions. I'm a mindless consumer. Um, <laughs> having two, like the collector in me is very excited to have two versions of it side by side that are both movie tie-in additions to, to the films. um, so I'm excited to for, for that. I'll post pictures on on Facebook and Instagram and stuff when it comes. Sweet. Yep. Um. Yeah. So let's get into Pet Cemetery then. Mm-hmm. Um. We are going to do a non-spoiler review and spoiler review. Um. So we we will make sure to mention when we go into spoilers. Um. We'll play a clip from the trailer when we transition into spoilers. And also, I have links in the, or uh, uh, timestamps in the show notes so you can navigate the spoilers. So. Pet Cemetery, 2019. I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary, if that's cool with you. Sure. So, Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife, Rachel, relocate from Boston to rural Maine with their two young children. The couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their new ho- new home. By the way, Tiny, I was a total dick and like didn't say anything about the uh, It Chapter 2 thing. Are you going to buy the new edition of It, or is it something that... Like are you uh, are you a collector of sorts? For I'm that not. Kind of stuff? If there's something I'm going to collect, it'll be a Stephen King books. Uh, but I, I I'm not really. Okay. I think I'm trying to get away from physical collections. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but then you hear about like companies just deleting their stuff, yes. like Google, Google, or was it Google? Microsoft, De- I think. Microsoft, yeah, yeah deleted their ebook thing, mm-hmm. and people just lost. Stuff. Yeah, like that's messed up. Did you did you hear me and me and Mike talk about that on Obsessive Viewer? I haven't listened to that episode oh, yet. Oh, interesting. Well, spoiler alert, yeah. we talked about that on Obsessive right. Viewer. Because iTunes is just gone now or whatever. Yeah, and... they switched over. Like now it's like three different things or something. Yeah. I don't know. So. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, on that same note, do you have any credits on Audible right now? Um, I don't because I just bought Doctor Sleep with my oh, nice. most recent credit. So. Nice. Yeah. I was thinking, and I may cut this out. I don't know. But um, I was thinking, it's stupid. It might be fun or something. If like at one point, if the stars align and we each have like a credit that is burning a hole in our phones, um, we could pick a Stephen King novel. Like while we're recording, pick a novel that neither one of us have read or have on Audible and use both of our credits on that. And like that'd be like the next book we review. Okay. So I don't know. Something to think about for the future. Sure. So anyway, um, Pet Cemetery 2019. Um, I don't know how I'm going to edit this together because we went on a little tangent there, but I'll just reiterate the plot summary courtesy of IMDb. Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife Rachel relocate from Boston to rural Maine with their two young children. The couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their home. 
Now, Tony, I was a dick before, and I didn't mention when I did my check-in that do you... I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so stupid. Uh, Pet Cemetery was directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. Uh, they previously worked on Scream, the TV series. Uh, they directed Starry Eyes and I think at least two segments of the horror anthology movie Holidays. Um, writers for this movie were Matt Greenberg with a screen story of, um, um, screen story credit. There you go. Um, he was the screenwriter of Halloween H2O back in, when was that, 98? And then he also, for kind of Stephen King relation stuff, um, related stuff, he wrote the movie version of Mercy, which is based on King's short story Grandma. And he also, did I already say 1408? No, I don't think so. He wrote 1408. He adapted 1408. And then uh, the actual screenplay credit goes to Jeff Bueller. He was the creator and one of the writers for Night Flyers, which was on sci-fi for one season based on the George R.R. Martin short story. Um, and that also featured Sam Strike, who is going to be playing young Roland DeShane in the Dark Tower TV pilot on Amazon. So, yeah, the do you want to talk about the stars of the movie? Yeah, sure. Okay. Who's in the movie? <laughs> um, so the lead is Jason Clark, mm-hmm. who I think is a pretty fun actor to watch all the time. Yeah. Um, he's kind of almost like a character actor, I think. Yeah. He, he's kind of in the background a lot. Um, he's he's the he's the type of like it's <laughs> this is gonna sound so shitty and diminu- diminutive of his talent, um, but he seems like a character actor who is trying so hard to be a um a leading man mm-hmm. but it's like and like I feel like he he has talent like he's a talented actor a very talented actor but I feel like he just I don't know if it's something about like his look or just like his like his uh, other factors I don't know like like age or like the where where like the timing of his career and everything but it just feels like he is – I don't think he has had, like, a breakout leading role. No. But he has had so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, and it's just – it's so weird that Hollywood does not give him that – hasn't given him that break. Yeah, he's been in so much stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the female lead is uh, Amy Simitz. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um sure. I had never heard of her. Me neither. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Mm. Um, I, she was fine. Um, the, uh, always enjoyable John Lithgow playing Judd Crandall. Yes. Perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last most notable would be, uh, Jete Lawrence. I think that's how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays Ellie, the eldest daughter. Yes. Um, I think the standout was actually Jete Lawrence as the, oh, the daughter. I think she was great. Um, I mean, yes. Okay. Yes. We'll you talk disagree. spoilers about that. Yeah. You kind of have to go into spoilers yeah, for it. Yeah. Cause there's, um, there's, something about it um i will say that they are um there were four cats used for church mm-hmm. um and one of them just re like within weeks of the movie premiering and everything just died yeah um kind of sad leo the cat Definitely. died yeah um i'll put a link in the show notes to the story on that but yeah uh great cat work um <laughs> yeah like uh just really like they did a really good job of making the cats look grimy and threatening and everything mm-hmm. so non-spoiler thoughts so we on this podcast have reviewed pet cemetery the novel we both raved about it i believe and uh yeah we both enjoyed the 1989 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does this remake uh, uh, sit with you, Tiny? I'm so excited because I have no idea what you're about to say. Yeah. Um, I will say I think it's actually uh, definitely inferior to the book, which mm-hmm. that's expected. But I think sure. it's actually inferior to the, the 80s film. Inferior? Inferior. Okay. Um, I, I appreciated the, the 1980s, uh, 89, I think it was. Mm-hmm. The 89 adaptation a little bit more. Um, having said that, I think this movie did a lot of things right. Okay. Um, there's a lot that I liked about it, but the, they kind of broke the cardinal rule of, of a king adapting a king story Mm -hmm. and that they weren't, 
they didn't focus on the characters enough and the character relationships, Mm. which I mean, like that can result in disaster. Yeah. And I don't think this was a disaster, but Mm. it really, really hurt the movie a lot. I totally agree. Like really hurt it. The movie, it's not a long movie. It is. The runtime is about an hour and 40 minutes and it, is very brisk. Like, Feels like an hour. It does. It does. And yeah. you know, when you are talking about a movie and you are thinking like, man, this is a this is a very like briskly paced thing. Like usually that can be a pretty positive thing. But here it's like it's brisk because there's not a lot of meat on the bones of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's there are things here and there, but it feels like it's just setting things up for plot convenience and for just atmosphere to like, just as to have something because it feels like the, the big like money shots of the movie are like the cats being creepy or the cat being creepy. And, uh, like the, the actions of certain characters rather than what is compelling them to take those actions. Right. Um, and it's just, it's such an, it's such a shame really, honestly to me. Um, it does also break what I think is another cardinal rule of uh, Stephen King adaptations, which I think is just the other side of the coin of what you said, is that it, instead of focusing on characters, it focused on horror. Mm-hmm. And like it is what we've said since the inception of this podcast, since we first started reading King, is like people think Stephen King is a horror writer. They think that he is like, he writes scary stories, right? That is the public perception of him. But what he does is he writes really interesting character pieces that puts these ordinary, but flawed and complex characters into extraordinary, supernatural, otherworldly situations. And the melding of those two things consistently for the most part reaps rewards to the reader mm-hmm. because King is so adept at doing that. Um, but when you adapt it, it's just like, okay, well what's creepy about this story? Okay. This thing. So we need to make sure we show this. Um, but then we won't have time to tell about this, but that's fine. Cause they're just going to want to see this. Yeah. That's not what people want. At least well, I, what's scary about this story is how, how, how the human condition applies to this extraordinary situation. Totally. Yeah. You know, a father will do anything to get back a, a, a killed. What is lost? A, a de- yeah. What is yeah. lost? Yeah. And there, this father is presented with that opportunity. Yeah. That's what's scary. It's not yeah. the fact, you know, all the other stuff that you think is scary. Mm. It's, that's what's beautiful about his stories and amazing about his right. stories is, it's the human element is typically what's scarier than the monster. Exactly. Yeah. E- exactly. And this, this movie completely missed that mark. It, it really did. Yeah. And it's such a shame. Like there are some moments in the movie where I thought like, okay, they, they're, they're doing some very interesting things that is, that are dancing around this, this type of storytelling in an interesting way. Like there are some choices that they make where I'm like, I can see on paper where that makes sense mm-hmm. in terms of adapting Stephen King. But there are other parts where I'm just like, okay, that's, I wouldn't say borderline gratuitous, but it's like the only reason that that's effective is because the makeup department went all out on it. And it's not because of the action of, of what someone's doing. Mm, okay. And it's, that's just kind of the tricky part of that. What did you think of, uh, Jason Clark? As a performer, I I think he's really good, and I th- I think as far as like dialogue and character progression, mm-hmm. I think he had he had a little bit to work with in this movie, yeah. And I think he stretched it really far, and I that's agree. that's a credit to him, yeah. Um, but I I I would have preferred to see him working off the script from the 1989 movie because mm. he would have been really good and yeah. it would have been a much better character and a more enjoy- enjoyable adaptation of mm. Lewis Creed. Um, so he, he's great. I, any, any flaws with the character, or with the performance, I don't credit to him. I think, I think it's a shortcoming of the script. I, I agree. He, like you said, he does stretch out what is by all accounts, not enough character development in the, in the script, but he stretches it out to make it at least convincing. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, <laughs> I feel like the writing is really where the movie falters 
quite a bit throughout it. Yeah. Um, not only in setting up certain things, like there are some very significant changes from the book, which we'll get to in spoilers, but, and even, uh, from the, from the, um, in 1989 movie, which was pretty faithful to the, to the novel anyway. Uh, but there are some pretty big departures and pretty big changes. Some of them I was actually okay with. Um, I don't know why we're dancing around spoilers since it was, uh, since it was, um, <laughs> revealed in the freaking trailer. Yeah. Still so bitter about that. It's funny because we're recording this the night before they release the next, uh, trailer for it chapter two. I'm mm. going to try to avoid that like the plague. Yeah. Um, because I, I've already seen the first trailer and I liked it, but I'm like, I'm already going to see it. I love this story. I don't want to see how they're going to change it and then reveal it in the trailer so that it's spoiled for the movie. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, I wanted to say I digest. <laughs> um, so, uh, some of the, just the writing, some of the choices, like there are character, um, there's characterization that is, done like uh some characterization in the movie is done in an opposite way from what it's done in the, in the book um maybe that's not the right way to phrase it it's basically instead of having a couple of characters like connect in a certain way they have two different characters connect in a, in a different way and that throws things off for the whole movie for me okay um i'll talk more about that in spoilers also but uh, John Lithgow, I, he's just got that, that, uh, stoic kind of, uh, grandfatherly or fatherly kind of, um, energy to him. So, like, I think that he also did quite well with a script that didn't do him much favor. He had, like, nothing. Yeah. To hardly he, work with at all. He had exposition. Yeah. And faux character development for his backstory. Yeah. Um, but he, I mean, he delivered the lines well, like I got, like I detected more emotion out of him than what the script would have otherwise necessitated for Mm. him. Um, I think, I think Judd Crandall was the biggest drop was the biggest, uh, issue as far as character development in this adaptation. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, he's, he's so great in the book. Mm. Um, and I think. Uh, the 1989 adaptation, he was really enjoyable as well. Yeah. I think he was the best part of the movie. I can't, oh, yeah. I can't remember that actor's name. Oh, uh, yep. Uh, it's yep. like Ed, Ed Gwynn? That sounds right. Yeah. Something like that. I almost um, said Ed Gein. Um, <laughs> so he, he was great. And that, like, I, I, appro- yeah. I really like that performance and what they did with that character in that adaptation. But mm-hmm. the, com- that was any, any quality from those, from the book and that original adaptation were completely missing from this movie. Totally. I mean, um, yeah. And I'm, on one hand, I'm glad that they didn't, I'm glad that like Lithgow didn't like try to do the main accent or anything. Really? Cause like, yeah, cause like as much as I love that, like, I, cause that's so intrinsically part of the character for me. Um, like having like Michael C. Hall in the audiobook or, Ed Gwynn in the 1989 movie, like doing such stellar performances of that. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't need a third one. Really? Like, I, I already feel like he's, he's been done. Like that, that accent is, is out there. And mm. I don't see how Lithgow, as much as a talented guy as I think he is, I don't think it w- is something that can be topped or be, can, mm. um, it would have been more distracting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It probably would have been a benefit to be distracted by the kind of shitty writing, <laughs> giving him nothing. Right. Like his biggest, uh, his biggest piece of character development is uh, telling a little girl about his wife. Um, yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Um, the and and so Jete Lawrence. Uh, we'll have to talk about that in spoilers. That's fine. yeah. Um, Amy Samites, Samites. Um, I, as Rachel, like Rachel's development in the movie, like they, I feel like that character stayed as true as any other character in in the movie to their book counterpart. Mm -hmm. Um, they made some interesting choices with the backstory that I think it's funny because on one hand it's like, it is patently 
an example of like, okay, well, this is a scarier version of that. So let's do that instead of having the nuance of why it's like, why it's traumatizing to her. Although they did, that's where they put the most emotional uh, resonance into the script is her backstory with her and Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was effective, but what I think I could have gotten more from, like, I think the script, at least the dialogue could have been stronger is in that scene that is so pivotal to the movie where they're talking about the pet cemetery. It's at the beginning of the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Lewis and Rachel are telling, are talking to Ellie Ellie's asking about the pet cemetery and how, like asking about death. And it's such a pivotal point in the story because it's supposed to set up this, this dichotomy where, uh, Lewis Creed is, is he is a, he's a medical professional. He doesn't believe that there's anything after we die or anything. Whereas Rachel is someone who is still traumatized by, uh, trauma in her past involving death that she does not want Ellie to be, you know, subjected to anything about that. Now that's a very compelling plot device for the story in the movie. Like that scene bugged me so much um, because it felt like it felt like they didn't know or didn't spend enough time punching up the dialogue. Cause it just came across like came, came across like, okay, well uh, I don't know what happens when you die. And uh, well, we don't have to worry about that because, because everyone's young and everything. It's fine. And it's, it's like, I, I made the kind of snide remark to myself in my apartment alone. Um, that's, uh, I was like, okay, so the basic, like, disagreement between Lewis and Rachel in this movie is that, like, they just don't want, like, Rachel just doesn't want Ellie to even be aware that death is possible. Yeah. Uh, rather than the more, um, complicated question of, like, what happens when, when we die and what happens to, the people we leave behind like that is such an interesting like ground to mine for drama and everything and it yeah. just it takes it down to just the most rudimentary it's very vanilla yes yeah oh yeah um anything about rachel or, or the uh the plot and non-spoilers and everything um not in non-spoilers i okay. i in the spoiler section i think i'll talk about her a little more rachel okay yeah how did you feel about the the set design and and everything that's one of the things i think they actually nailed in this mm-hmm. movie that i was actually i was pretty into the movie for that reason okay the nice. set of the pet cemetery was mm-hmm. really well done like okay. it was it was creepy in my opinion anyways i thought sure. it was uh it was creepy it was eerie and it felt natural it 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 just it looked really good um and i think even like just the the home that the creeds move into is mm-hmm. very it just it feels like a main a rural main house and the highway was just felt like one of those rural highways i don't know i think yeah. i think they the sets and everything were just really well done mm-hmm. um uh the and then the the actual burial ground mm-hmm. um beyond the cemetery was creepy yeah. i mean it was swampy and just well done i think i think that was that was all very effective for me i yeah i agree there's there there's it's such an interesting set anyway like in the story and every iteration of the story it's such an interesting like set like these these two houses separated by giant yards uh separated by a a, a highway that is very active with massive trucks mm-hmm. that drive very fast like it is it's a terrifying like area um in a very unconventional way um and i just i i really enjoyed the the set design and everything the makeup effects also of certain elements in it uh was was really good mm-hmm. um a little like it it really pushed the envelope as far as like what I want to see, <laughs> but like it was graphic without being gratuitous or or too much for me. How did you right. feel about like that aspect of it? Yeah, that was good too. Um, that's kind of hard to talk about not in yeah. spoilers, but but yeah, makeup mm-hmm. was nicely done. Especially I can't imagine trying to uh, put makeup on a cat. Yeah, I'd imagine that's tough. Uh, yeah. Um, should I ask pizza? You should. Like, do you see the scratches on my hand? That's just from trying to pet this fucking thing. 
Um, just kidding. I love my cat. Official mascot of Obsessed River Podcast. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, she just loves me so much that she just wants to bite and scratch me. Right. It's so adorable. <laughs> um, so yeah. And, and final thing. What did you think of the cats? Uh, yeah. They were good. They were, they were cute, pretty kitties. Yeah. Does um, it make you want a cat? It doesn't. No. Does no. it make you want to kill my cat and then bury it so it comes back? I'm going to take the fifth on that one. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> good. Um, it's funny. There, there's a review on the top review on IMDb. <clears throat> voice crack there. It's a five out of ten, and the title is Sometimes Dead is Meh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, any parting thoughts on non spoilers before we go into spoilers for Pet Cemetery 20, uh, 2019? And if not, uh, overall thoughts without spoiling? Uh, like I said, the movie did a lot of things right, but it screwed up the one or two biggest cardinal rules of adapting mm-hmm. a Stephen King story. And that, that just kind of pr- pretty much ruins it or, or just, you know, makes it forgettable. Yeah. And, and it's really a shame because this, this story has a lot of potential. I, I would have, if does. you, if you did a, did a mashup of the 1989 adaptation and this one, I think you have a pretty darn good movie. Yeah. Not, you know, earth shattering, right. amazing movie, not Shawshank Redemption good. Right. But a movie that I would probably buy and watch multiple times. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I didn't really realize this until after I kind of got away from this movie. Um, and I think I saw like a couple of like hot takes online. Um, last year's movie Hereditary <laughs> is like a better, ver- like the, it's like the best version of like a Pet Cemetery movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that we'll ever get. And it, I, there's nothing like, it's not, that's not to say that hereditary borrows anything from, from it, but like, it is a more, much more intense and interesting explore. Hereditary's exploration of grief and the actions of people experiencing grief is on par with the level of that same thing in the book, Pet Cemetery. And that's something that I don't think either movie has been able to attain. Either adaptation has been able to attain. Mm-hmm, well put. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that'll be non-spoilers. I, I, it's funny because like we're both on Letterboxd, uh, Obsessive Viewer and Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. Um, great like social media for movie lovers. So I watched this for the first time since the theater today. Hmm. Um, I did not write a review on the check-in when I saw it in the theater. Um, and so I haven't, I haven't gone back and seen like what I rated it when I saw it in the theater. Um, I rated it like right out of the gate, out of the theater. My original rating was three and a half stars. Really? Out of five. Wow. And like, I saw that and I was like, is that a, is that a mistake? Because like <laughs> I just finished watching this for the second time, and it's a two star movie for me. Two yeah, five stars. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what my headspace was. Maybe we can talk more about it in spoilers, like what I liked and didn't like in the moment, and what I how I feel about it now. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a two out of five stars. Unfortunately, nice. and I do prefer the 1989 movie, but um, overall, I think Hereditary handled the themes of Pet Cemetery a lot better than either Pet Cemetery movie. Yeah. Has so. Yeah, I gave it two and a half. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, all right, we're well. We're gonna go ahead and go into spoilers for Pet Cemetery 2019. Um, if you haven't seen it and don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and turn this off and come back when you watch it. It's available on all the digital platforms and uh, DVD and Blu-ray. So, warning on. Here's a clip from the trailer. That cat was dead. That brings things back. Church. I know what you're thinking of doing. But they don't come back the same. And we are spoiling Pet Cemetery 2019. Um, so Tiny, first things first, the change. Yeah. Um, so in the novel and in the 1989 movie, Gage is the one that gets killed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Lewis resurrects him by grave digging and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie swaps that. So it's Ellie that gets killed. Um, and I 
made an entire episode of the podcast where I was ranting about the fact that they showed that in the trailer. Yeah. Um, and when I saw the way that it was handled in the movie, I genuinely wanted to like if i had like if i had free time i would want to track down whoever was in charge of cutting that trailer <laughs> and like i would like it, it's like i would want to lodge a formal complaint to their supervisor mm-hmm. and hope that they never get on the fucking editing machine in this town again <laughs> um but just because that was such a ch- like a cheap marketing ploy that deprived us of something that could have been really interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Cause like, okay, when you see it in the trailer, it's like one of my big gripes was that the trailer shows that, that Ellie goes into the road, goes into the red to <laughs> get church because he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is run over like that. I thought was interesting. Like if that's how it happened in the movie, because it would have been interesting to see how that affects Lewis's guilt because he indirectly caused it by yeah. bringing him back. Um, they don't explore it that way any too much really at all. But the thing that really, really pisses me off and makes me want to contact that person's supervisor <laughs> is the fact that the way it's done in the movie is it is designed to make us think that Gage is going to die. It is designed to make us to, to trick us into thinking that it's going to follow the, follow the source material. Right. And so had they had they not revealed that in the trailer, I would have been a lot more into the story and the the rest of the movie because I would have just been so gobsmacked by it. Mm-hmm. Um so how did you react to that development and how much did you remember from the trailer? Did you know that did you know about it ahead of time? Uh, yeah, I knew about it ahead of time okay. and I was equally as well, I don't know about equally as upset, but yeah. I was just like, the, why? What, what the hell are you thinking? That was mm-hmm. a horrible decision um, to put it in the trailer. Yeah. As far as, you know, making that a part of the movie, like um, choosing Ellie to be the, the child who, who died, mm-hmm. I think it was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I actually think it's, um, and like you said, um, I, I think they could have really explored the idea that uh, Lewis was somewhat at fault yeah but because of the way in which she died i thought that was really interesting i you know it's it doesn't make a lot of sense for a you know nine-year-old girl to just wander in the street she should know better right and so the 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 way how they you know she was going after church yeah that was clever like i thought that was genuinely clever and that was a cool idea and i think it i think it kind of worked actually like it kind of worked it kind of worked for me nice um the, the fact the whole way it happened mm-hmm. where the trailer disconnected from the truck mm-hmm. is fucking ridiculous just <laughs> from a technical aspect. I worked in the trucking industry for like two years. That does not happen. Yeah. Does not happen. Um, those kingpins where they're connected are rated for like a million pounds of force, literally. The Stephen Kingpins. Yeah, Stephen Kingpins. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was just ridiculous. I, as I saw that, I audibly laughed out loud. Um, but the, it was actually with that minor quabble, it was kind of a cool scene. Okay. Pretty, pretty CGI ish and looked, looked a little, little shiny. Yeah. Um, but I I could appreciate it. Plus, so the, the Ellie died from blunt force trauma and there's like zero blood in that. Like I was like, she would be fucking mangled. Right. Which I don't really want to see that. Right. But, like, if you're going to do it, do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, she was, like, gently lying on her side in the grass, yeah. dead. I was like, okay. Like, I I feel like maybe their makeup budget was, was exceeded with something. Pascal. Yeah. Um, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But but overall, I think it was kind of a cool creative decision, and I think mm-hmm. it, it kind of worked for me. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think the overall, the larger reason why it worked mm-hmm. is because I think it's interesting that... Excuse me. Uh, the kid who was brought back in the in the novel and in the movie, mm-hmm. Gage is like two, yeah, two and like a half. Three, yeah. Is he three? Okay, he's like barely able to talk. Anymore. Right, like not yeah. really talking yet. Yeah, doesn't have ideas. Right. Um, he has to start his own podcast. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's fine. I'm not saying that was a bad decision, but 
it's interesting that in the movie, in this movie, we have a nine-year-old girl who mm-hmm. does have ideas and is like can talk in complete sentences and stuff like yeah. that. And so it's, I thought it was actually kind of cool the crazy shit she was saying after she came back. Yeah, I thought she was creepy as shit, and I thought yeah. Jate Lawrence or however you say her name did a really good job. I yes, I I think she did a great job for the most part. Okay. I think, she, I feel like I was taken out of it a little bit, and I feel like a dick just criticizing this <laughs> yeah. actress's performance, but, um, that's what we do here. But, um, yeah. But she, it, it felt like it, it, I couldn't really buy the creepiness in certain scenes. Like when she's talking to, like, Judd and, and, like, taunting him and everything, I felt like there, I felt like there was a, a somewhat of a lack of sinisterism. Okay. Uh, there was like it wasn't as sinister as I would have liked it to be. Okay. Because um, it just felt like she was just like this little girl like making fun of this guy. Yeah. But um, I will say that maybe my maybe my favorite part of the movie was her coming back and her being in like him like him laying in bed with her and like he's just like saying like go to sleep ellie and like he's just staring like blankly it's like that's like the most characterization we got of lewis creed <laughs> yeah him wrestling with what he's done and like right. the next day where she's wearing like she's she's wearing the dress that i think it was the dress she was buried in uh-huh. and she's dancing around to like uh, i think it was the nutcracker suite mm-hmm. and like she's like having these spurts where she's like throwing stuff down and like like it's like she's kind of an animal in that respect a little bit yeah like that I would have loved it if there was more of that. Yeah. Like, cause at that point we're just like, we're, it's on the fast track to the ending. Mm-hmm. But if it had allocated some time to really study the, like, Lewis with his resurrected daughter and like grappling with what, what, what he's done. Like it could have been really interesting. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah, and we got some. Yep. But yeah, we could it could have been expanded upon, yep. just like most of the other parts of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can I tell you my biggest gripe with the movie? Sure. Even bigger than the than the, the reveal in the in the trailer that they changed it and everything. Like for the record, I don't care that they changed it. Like I think that it makes sense that they made Ellie the one that died because mm. the directors even said like it's easier to get a performance out of an older older young woman than a barely talkative young yeah. actor. Yeah. Which by the way, quick sidebar, um it's cr- like they had to have intentionally cast Gage to look almost exactly yes. like the kid from the first one. I had the, the exact original. same thought. I was like this is uncanny. Has to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Um cute as a button. Yes. Um glad he didn't die. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> or did he? Or did he? Um <laughs> so my biggest gripe, like, and this happens, like, this is something that, that bugged me from the outset, and it's something that maybe I couldn't recover from the movie, or from this choice, but one of the biggest parts of the novel, in the original movie, um, but mostly the novel, is the connection, the paternal connection between Lewis, or between Judd and Lewis. Yep. And the father, like, there is a great line in the, in, like, the first, like, few pages, I think I referenced it in our review, where it's, a uh, like Lewis says something like he like he's it it says something like Lewis never thought that he would meet a father figure this late in his life but then he met Judd Crandall mm-hmm. and like their dynamic in the book is so strong and their connection is so like strong that you you believe why like why Judd would let him, would would let him in on the pet cemetery thing mm-hmm. why Lewis would be attracted to going using the pet cemetery and that struggle between them <clears throat> the movie does not do that like the movie makes judd a uh, bond with ellie and we don't get a scene with lewis and judd until they are having dinner and it's like oh so we've already they've already met okay that's cool right and so like that at the end like toward the end when when um lewis drugs him or, or you know uh yeah drugs him mm-hmm. i'm just like okay cool like that's sure it's like it like everything in that last act it's very quick and mm-hmm. very brisk um but it's just like there's no it's like john lithgow he's a great actor but like he's just he's just reciting these words because they have no meaning to them because they didn't properly 
connect those characters. Did you? How did you feel about that change? Yeah, that was really egregious, mm-hmm. and st- it stuck out like a sore thumb. I think, yeah, because it would make sense. It, it makes sense structurally that they would become friends. Yeah, and there'd be a paternal thing there. Mm. Um, and so that's why it's so gratifying in the book and in, yeah. in the movie, and that's why it's one of my favorite parts of the story. Mm. And it's like you said, it's 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 not it's not existent in the movie. Yeah. they're just they're like acquaintance neighbors. Exactly. Like and even that's just such a ball drop. It is yeah. absolutely, and like Judd, Judd, um, showing Lewis Ch- Church's dead body. It's like even that is like it's. It's nothing because it's it's because Judd has a connection to Ellie, and it's like, I it I just don't get it. It's like it seems just so surface level that it's like, okay, well, we're gonna kill Ellie. Where like Lewis isn't dying, so why should he bond with him? Like it'll be more effective if like Judd experiences the loss of Ellie, even though this is about the family of the Creeds mm-hmm. and grief and everything, and the all that. It's just a very bizarre choice. Yeah. Um, having said that, one choice that I thought was an interesting change, but again, is just strictly horror-based, was Zelda and the Dumbwaiter. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, and, but there's no real payoff to that. Yeah. Um, like, you don't even get the payoff of... I, I would have liked them to have that altercation at the funeral between Lewis and... and uh, Rachel's parents, mm-hmm. but we don't even get that. We get like Rachel's dad, like sneering at him for like a frame. Right. That's about it. Yeah. That's, that was nothing. Yeah. They, I almost would have had a, rather have him leave it out. Yeah. And um, they, and they use that strictly to, uh, I think they pretty much the only, like the animosity between, uh, Lewis and Rachel's parents is, isn't used for any like deep characterization or anything. It's used to contrive a reason for Rachel to leave with Gage and leave, uh, leave Lewis home alone soon. So like days after Ellie's death. And it's like in, it's a contrivance. It comes across as just being super, just plot, uh, or script, like just something that we needed in the script. Right. Um, to usher in the last act. Yeah. And yeah, the whole, the Zelda thing was it. It didn't in the in the book. It's it's to develop the character of Rachel, mm-hmm. and it's really well done. Yeah, um, and even even in the eighty nine adaptation, adaptation, pretty mm-hmm. pretty pretty decently done. Um, but it was you're right. It was it was to serve the purpose of horror and to try to get some jump scares. Yeah, the whole dumbwaiter thing, and then mm-hmm. Rachel having the hallucination where she has her body is contorting and stuff yeah. like that. It's not that it sucked or it wasn't effective mm. in any way. It just wasn't necessary. And it seemed a little out of place. So out of place. Like when, when we get those scenes with Rachel, like there's a scene that just sticks out so much because it's just, she's having that vision. Like she's in the bathroom or something and she has a vision outside the, like of, of the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like this, like, did they not get the memo that this isn't a haunted house movie? Right. Like, that's that was, that like was my conjuring or something. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I was like, where's this coming from? Like, yeah. is how how was she having these visions? Like, what what is this? This yeah. isn't in the book. It's like no, that this force is not at work in this story. Exactly. Yeah. And she like again, it's used as a contrivance to get her out of out of the picture so that so that Lewis can go to it. But like also. If you think too hard about this, and I don't think this is nitpicking because, I mean, come on, try a little harder. <laughs> um, but like, okay, she's saying like, I, I keep thinking about her. I can't, I can't stay in this house. And it's established that she's freaked out by the house anyway. But like, the alternative is that she goes home to her parents with Gage. And like, we get the scene where she's sitting feet away from the thing that, that it has been haunting her, the dumbwaiter. Yeah. Uh, because she blames herself for for her sister's death and everything, and like she's haunted by it. I'm like, is this really the best alternative? Mm-hmm. Like, are, did you really split up your family in like their most grief stricken time so that you can sit reflectively in front of the thing that has been tormenting you about your like about death and your sister? Mm-hmm. Like, it just it felt so weird and like it did not connect with me uh, from a narrative perspective. Yeah, I was out of place. Yeah. Um, but then an- another change, and I don't 
I don't mean to skip ahead, but oh, no, no, no. um the the very end and like what happens to the characters, mm-hmm. um the Ma Lewis and Rachel and Ellie are all have all been dead and reincarnated. Yeah. Um and then they're approaching Gage who's locked in the in the car. Mm-hmm. Um that was very much like a horror horror movie ending. Yes. But I kinda dug the shit out of it, you frankly. Know, um I and, thought it was pretty cool. Okay. I I am so back and forth with it. Really? And like it's funny because when I saw it in the theater, I was like, I don't I don't think I like that. Because again, it's just it's just horror. It is, yeah. But I I remember like as I sat with it, I rationalized it a little better in my head, but I just I I'll be honest, I completely forgot what that rationalization was. Gotcha. So like I'm just kind of okay with it. But there's an alternate ending that if you go on to Voodoo and watch it, like I recommend mm. watching it. Okay. Um that blows that out of the water. Really? Honestly. Like it's different from the book. Okay. And it's just it's so like <laughs> uh the last shot of this alternate I won't give it away, but um the last shot of it is like like it belongs in a better movie. Like like it the last shot of the alternate ending belongs in the movie that we get of Pet Cemetery where they actually honor like the story of a family ripped apart by grief and mm. a father who will do anything to piece his family back together and like how he how he struggles with with internalizing grief and and everything. Okay. Um but it's just it's such an interesting ending and I I don't understand why they didn't do it. It's haunting too. It's like creepy. Hmm. But yeah, it just felt like and that ending felt the ending we got just felt like a a zombie movie kind of ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can see that. I, I can see that people had an issue with it or something, mm-hmm. but um, I, it was just effective for me. I thought mm-hmm. it was really effective. Um, and it's not since they screwed up the whole character arcs, anyways. I think yeah. that's why I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But if it was if they had been truer to the characters and still w- went with that ending, I wouldn't have liked it as much. Yeah, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. Well, um, here's. Here's kind of my my kind of hot take of the entire movie. Um it feels like they had like it's it's like they set out to remake or readapt Pet Cemetery. And in doing that, they chose to look at the iconography of the 1989 movie and check off what like like piece together Something around that iconography, like okay, the Achilles tendon shot. We need that. Mm-hmm. We need Zelda with the with the like spinal meningitis stuff. We need that to be uber creepy. We need Vis- Victor Pascal to be a creepy um, uh, apparition, and we need him to have like severe makeup effect and everything. Like this is the stuff we need. We need a creepy cat to terrorize the to terrorize Lewis and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like that's at the sacrifice of okay, we need. You, like we don't really need a like father figure kind of storyline between these two characters because you know one of them is like he's like Lewis isn't the one that's going to die and we need um we don't need that depiction of grief because I don't know fucking hereditary did it better 6 <laughs> months ago yeah. at the time of the filming of it but yeah it's just it's I don't know I don't know it it uh really kind of bugged me on that on that front but yeah Kind of my, there's, there's something to be said about the imagery of the ending with Gage in the car that I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I guess going to come to terms with a little bit. Um, maybe if I view it as, as like the, the grief of losing Ellie is what's ripped apart the family and like the, them all dying is like the, the family unit dying and collapsing in on itself in the face of tragedy but it's just like that i feel like that's too much of a stretch for it and like mm. how that how that will adversely affect the younger member of the family mm. but even that's a stretch and that's giving a lot of uh leeway to writing that fairly wasn't uh, uh, to be honest wasn't wasn't there yeah yep um to kind of wind down any other thoughts on it um, um. Not really. Not that I can. Not to jump out. I think I kind of said my piece on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I. I just. 
I own it on Vudu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a two a two star movie for me. I just I yeah I don't know. I wish it was better, but I I don't know. And again, like it's very brisk, and there's no like the character development isn't is just isn't there. Like it right. goes like it goes from from point to point without really having any like forward momentum for the characters even when lewis is like okay when ellie dies it's like very quickly we like it's like as soon as as soon as we see the funeral scene we need to have we need to establish that rachel is going to leave and so it's like it's like a foregone conclusion that okay lewis is going to go dig her up and everything. So we don't really need to show him grieving or show him wrestling with that. We just need to see his wife leave at, at, at that time. And we need to see him drug Judd who is almost conscious enough of, of like knowing what he's doing, yeah. but not really. Um, it just felt just so no pun intended lifeless. And yeah, yeah. right. I agree. Yeah. It's at least the book's really good. Yep. I will always, always, <laughs> always adore that freaking novel and great it's great book so incredible like where is it on my top 19 um i don't know it's up there yeah i think it's like number three. Oh no it's number f- six hmm. uh so it's in my top six but yeah so I think I'd actually like recommend the '89 version. Me too. Um, which I'd probably think I'd, I'd probably give that like three stars. Yes, yeah, I gave way. I gave this two and a half. It it I don't it doesn't age that well. But yeah, it's it's still it's a more effective story. Definitely, yeah. Which is which is a shame. Kind of shocking. Um, Same here. Yeah. I agree. Maybe at some point they'll remake it or um, <laughs> put. A pet cemetery sticker on hereditary yeah um, <laughs> nice so yeah so i think that'll do it mm-hmm. for this episode of tower junkies um thank you guys so much for listening to us and everything we have a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline um we what are we doing we're doing the shining series mm-hmm. we're gonna be talking about the novel the movie the miniseries dr sleep all in the lead up to the dr sleep movie now we have that recorded and it is on record. <laughs> so we have to do that. But uh we are in the process of doing that. And then we've got other stuff in planned uh down the road, so it's gonna be fun. So uh let us know what you thought of Pet Cemetery twenty nineteen, if you remember it from the several months ago when it was in the theaters. Um you know where to find us and everything. You'll have all the information in the outro. Any parting thoughts, Tiny? Mm, I don't think so. Alright, well in that case, guys, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. It felt like, at least in the first half or so of the season, it felt like the show was being less dependent on like the era or pop culture references um as it as my memory of the last two seasons were yeah and it seems like it's more concentrated on just creating this backdrop of the 80s for these characters that they have developed so well to play in yeah and i love that now that's not to say that there isn't very overt 80s references and pop culture references Mm -hmm. there is a uh i don't know if you've gotten into yet there's a running like not gag but there's a running like thing that is definitely like it is it is it's like this season's big like over like 80s reference kind of thing okay tower junkies is edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive you can also like our facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at Tower Junkies Pod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, 
or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!